Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. Welcome to Zion. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad that you are with us today. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, be sure to come say hi on your way out um, before you sneak out of here after service. So I'm actually, I'm glad to see all of you. You know, last week I said we were going to be doing two weeks on generosity, and y'all came back. <laughs> That's good. This is, this is like the Labor Day Christians, the Christians that come on Labor Day weekend. Y'all are going to heaven. God loves you. <laughs> um, I do, I, I do want to celebrate. Last week we were able to sponsor 38 children just on that Sunday. Yeah, give God praise for that. It is incredible just to see the uh, response from the congregation to go out there and, um, and change lives of children uh, forever. I'm really looking forward to uh, meeting those children in the future. Uh, if you are wondering about the mission trip, you can go on our app. Uh, you'll hear more about that in the announcements later. Uh, we posted all of the information as it is right now. We still have more coming through, and we'll post applications for it soon. So I'm excited about that. Um, that's going to be in end of July 2020. So today we're continuing our series on reflections and uh, the title of today's sermon is Giving God All. Giving God All. And the scripture, the passage that we're going to reflect on is, I believe, the shortest parable in scripture. It comes from Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 44. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, 44. Uh, Jesus says this. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I remember as a teenager, uh, we had a guest speaker that uh, came to our church, uh, you know, grown up Pentecostal. You always had the guest speaker come and speak on generosity. Um, anybody ever had where you, you didn't leave church until like 10 people stood up, you know, to give the $1,000 seed and 20 people stood up to give the $100 seed. You know, anybody have? No, I'm the only one? Okay. <laughs> Don't worry, no seed planting today. So I remember as a teenager, a guest speaker had come uh, to speak on generosity. And he asked a question that had stuck with me for many years, actually probably more like haunted me uh, for a long time. Uh, and that question was this, if God asked you to give away all your money, would you? If God asked you to give away all your money, would you? Now, the fact that that question haunted me should help you know what my answer to that question was. <laughs> A resounding hell no. <laughs> hell intended in that. Right? The, the answer to that question was obvious. And for many years after that, it was continuously a no as that question kept on coming in my mind. As a teenager, I, I started working at 14, and I was what you would call a hoarder. Uh, I hoarded all my money. I had a stack of cash that I had to hide from my parents as well as my siblings uh, because they loved to borrow money and never repay it. Uh, and so... 
I had it. It was. I still remember. I had this crazy big draw contraption. I don't even. That was like a bookshelf, drawers, all these things in it. It's one of those old pieces of furniture that you just will never see nowadays because of IKEA. Uh, and in the back of my sock drawer, I realized there was a compartment where I can put stuff under it. So I had a wad of cash in an envelope. I had to take out my sock drawer, put it under there, put it back, and that, that was my spot. I remember thinking about that wad of cash that day and wondering, would I give this to God? And the answer was no, and for many years after that, it continued to be no because, well, I loved my money. It's not very hard to figure out why. You know, this question, though, actually began a decade-long journey in my heart because I kept on coming back to it and asking myself, you know, would you give everything if God asked you to give everything? Uh, and then, you know, at first it was like, well, I'd give him some. Well, I'd give him a good portion of it. Well, maybe I'd give him half of it, you know, or maybe I'd give him like 80%. You know, I'd give him a good amount. And there's actually an encounter in the Gospels where this same question is posed to somebody. Jesus asked the same question of somebody. Because this journey began a life-changing understanding of wealth and money for me. And I want us to look at how Jesus poses the same question to a young man who also had a lot of money. Although I did not have a lot of money. I think my life savings at this point was $2,000 in my late teen years. But to me, that was a lot of money. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21 Jesus has this conversation. It says, And Jesus, looking at him, this man, loved him. Now, Jesus loves this man, and he asked him this question. He said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to all of his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is teaching like he usually does at this point. In the middle of the teaching, what the Bible describes is a, a rich young ruler comes to him and talks to him. This man, essentially what we would call, uh, if we would look at him today and say that, that dude was perfect, he never stole in his life. I broke that law when I was like four. Um, he never committed adultery. He did not dishonor his parents. I mean, that's a pretty great rap sheet. He did not lie. He never bore for false witness. But then Jesus looks at his heart. He loves him. And because he loves him, he sees the thing that he is lacking. The thing that he lacked was putting God over money. And so Jesus then has this conversation with him and makes this statement. He says to him, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. What does the man do? He cannot do it. He walks away sad. See, in the parable, though, that we opened up with, what we find is that the reverse happens. 
This man, he finds the kingdom of heaven. He finds this treasure, which is the kingdom of heaven. He finds it in a field. And what does that man do? He immediately runs and sells all that he has. He gives up everything that he has. And then he goes back and he buys that field so that he can receive this treasure. This hidden treasure. See, the the point is this. When we truly encounter the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, what happens is that we inherently give up all of our material wealth. When we encounter God's kingdom and the gospel, we give up everything that we have. See, when that preacher came and he asked that question, and he said, would you give away all your money if God told you to? My answer was no. What I've realized is that the question really shouldn't be, and this is what changed in my life, the question really shouldn't be, would I? See, the the question, if you follow Christ, is have you? Do you understand that difference? See, the would I is I'm still contemplating the cost I'm still contemplating the treasure of heaven. I'm still contemplating the magnitude of the kingdom of God. But when it really becomes have I, it's really then an understanding of I have encountered already the kingdom and the gospel. And now because of that encounter, just like this parable, the man who sells all that he has, I have already given up all that I have. For the kingdom of God. Have you given all that you have. For the treasure of the kingdom. Jesus puts it another way. In Matthew chapter 6. Do you seek first. The kingdom of God. Is the advancement of the kingdom of God. The first priority. For all the wealth that you have. You know, a lot of people ask sometimes whenever, you know, if you preach two weeks on money, uh, the question I'll usually receive after is, why do you talk so much about money? I'm like, well, it's only two weeks out of 50, but 52, but okay. Uh, the answer is because if you read what Jesus spoke mostly about, he spoke mostly about money. And the reason is because of this. Because when Jesus had that conversation with the rich young ruler, he says this, and it's very difficult for us to cope with this line in our culture today because of the status that we put wealth. It's this, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. See, wealth, or as the Bible describes it, mammon, Not the devil is the biggest competition for our hearts. That is why I believe that giving towards God's kingdom to put God first cannot be overlooked. Paul said it last week. He said you've been excelling in faith. You've been excelling in knowledge, in speech. But there's one act that you need to excel in. And that is the act of generosity that cannot be overlooked. See, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. He doesn't say you can't serve God and the devil. He says you cannot serve God and money. 
the other master that is constantly competing with our heart, that falsely identifies as the greatest God that can give us everything that God has, is money. It says that it will give you joy. It says that it will give you security. It says that it will give you fulfillment and contentness. But in fact, falsely identifies all those things. See, what happens when you give your wealth away to the kingdom, when the kingdom is the first priority in your life, what it does is kingdom giving keeps God at the front of our money expenses and therefore at the front of our heart. Kingdom giving pushes greed away. Kingdom giving, it practically helps us worship God first and foremost in our life. See, what I've learned in my life, the the pro tip that I've learned to live by is this, that the first expense that I will ever have every time that ACH hits my account or any time I put some money, I deposit that check, the first thing I do is I give to God. That has to be the very first thing. The second I deposit the check, the second I see that it hits my account, I give it to God. I give it towards the mission of the kingdom of God here on earth. And what happens when you do that is what I've learned is, is to plan my budget around this, God owning all. See, when I plan my budget this way, it's God owns all of my money, not the parts that I want to give him. Because my heart being in the right place is way more important than where I can eat out this week. My heart being in the right place is way more important than the things that I wanted to buy for the month. And so that's why whenever new money comes into my account, God is the first one to get it because it is part of my worship of saying, God, you are first and foremost. You own all of this. This is yours. When Jesus makes that statement about how difficult it is for the wealthy people to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the disciples freak out later on. You read it. It's, they ask Jesus this question. I always find it funny. They say, who can be saved? Who can be saved? If people that enjoy what they perceive, they, and they thought, man, this is, these are the most blessed people on earth. If they have a hard time making it into heaven, then who can be saved? Jesus' response to that question is beautiful because it says something about the depth of the stronghold that money has over the human heart. I want you to listen to this because when the disciples basically say that no one is ever going to get into heaven, if these people can't get into heaven, if wealthy people can't get into heaven, Jesus, don't you know that none of us, there's no hope for any of us to get into heaven? Jesus says this, with man it is impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. See, the truth is, you need just as much salvation, miracle power to save you from money than you do from drugs, alcohol, lust, pornography. 
See, so often we regulate the power, the salvation power of God to what we would say are these more visible sins. These more, it's, it's easy to see the detrimental habits to them because you can see right away what alcohol does to your life. You can see right away what drugs. There's a very physical response. There's a, there's a disorder that occurs in your family structure, in your friendships, in your workplace when you deal with these things. But Jesus says, and, and for those things, we, we, uh, if you've ever experienced those things, what you think is, I, I, I can never get saved. I'm too far gone. I'm too far away. But yet we've seen God heal people over and over and save people over and over in those places. But Jesus says this. He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What Jesus is stating here is that it is a miracle, a bona fide miracle for us who have a love of money in our life, have an addiction to the things that money provides and the things that money can give us. It is a bona fide miracle for us to be saved. See, that gives me hope especially because of the place that we live in, New York City. I mean, if you've traveled around the world, it just feels different in other cities. One, this is the greatest city in the world. I'm sorry if you're from another city and you like it, but <laughs> facts are facts. I had some friends of the world, and I would just laugh at them. Like, huh? Paris? Get out of here. You know, I understand if you want to fight with me about London or something like that, uh, but New York City still wins. End of story. <laughs> the great thing about being up here is just nobody can outright debate with you. <laughs> you just have to deal with my great New York City rants. Um, but there's something different about New York. I think the first time I really experienced this dynamic was when I went to Washington, D.C. When I went to Washington, D.C., the, the, the best way I can describe this is just the sin in the air smelled different. <laughs> you know, uh, it was just a, it was a different devil that you were dealing with in D.C. than the one in New York. And the one in D.C. just felt like power. You know, you were close to power when you were in D.C., and you felt the hunger for it when you were there. In New York, the devil that you deal with is money. And everyone who lives here feels the hunger of that. The rush, the bustle, doesn't matter where you are, you feel the hunger for it. The good word of God is this. That when we feel like it's impossible to be saved from our love for money, God says all things are possible for him, that he can save us. But the fact is that it takes miracle-saving power from Jesus to heal us from our love for money. See, probably the strongest example of how literal Jesus is about us giving him everything, I think is found in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. We're going to read this. 
Just an amazing passage. Every time I'm, I read this, I'm confronted with the reality of, have I given Jesus all? Luke chapter 14, verse 25 says this. It says, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first and, and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Listen to this. So therefore, after everything he said, this is the point he is driving. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. When Jesus ends with renouncing all, he had given three categories that he used as examples for the disciples to truly ponder what he was talking about. And in order, those three examples were family, money, and power. Right? Some of the three biggest things that I'd say as human beings we love more than anything else in the world. Our family, our money, and our power. But Jesus says specifically, count the cost when you follow me. And if you are not ready to renounce all that you have, then you are not ready to follow me. See, that was the difference between that question that was posed in the beginning that that preacher asked. He said, would you give it all away? But really, the question for a Christ follower is, have you given it all to Jesus? Because if you are still deliberating with the would I, then you are truly, what you're saying to yourself is you're still counting the cost of would you follow Jesus. Do you understand that? That if, if there are things in your life that are still maybe, or I need to count, or I need to think about this, then truly what you're saying to God is there is still a maybe or a would before I follow you. See, if you still view your money as yours to do what you want with it, and you consider yourself a Christ follower, there is a problem. Those two things do not match up. He is either Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. See, you do not get to regulate Jesus into what parts of your life that he is Lord of. Because then you are saying, I am creating a God made in the image of my comfortability. But that's not God. God either becomes Lord of everything or he is Lord of nothing. What I have learned is if the kingdom of God is not worth selling all that I have, then maybe I do not truly understand what the kingdom of God is. 
The man who found the treasure in the field, he knew. He knew immediately what he found. And he ran and he sold everything and purchased that field with all that he had. And he went and he bought that field. See, when I think about the worth of the good news and bringing the good news to as many people around me as possible through the glorious church of God, I realize that this is worth every dime and every penny that I have. See, God has taught me about giving him my all. Do you know how he's taught me about this? By actually calling me to give him my all. The first time that God called me to give him all that I had, to empty what I had for him. I remember I did it a little bit begrudgingly, I'm not going to lie. I was like, God, I don't really want to do this. Let me sit on it for a little while. Let me think about it. You know, I love when I, when I give this excuse to God. I don't know if I'm the only one that does this. Let me pray about it, God. <laughs> God's like, okay, who are you going to pray to about that, buddy? <laughs> me. <laughs> Think I already answered you. But, you know, we're so used to not telling people no right away by giving them the Christian response of let me pray about it for a little while, that sometimes I'd go to God, you know, let me pray about that for a little while, God, because this is a no right now. That's essentially what I'm telling you. But I remember the first time just very begrudging obedience, but it was still obedience, and I think God honors obedience, even if sometimes it's begrudging, because what happened is little by little God softened my heart. And since, it has become a joyful acceptance. You can have my all whenever you want, however you require. See, two things I learned about this. The first thing is God has promised to care for his children. And so when I do with the money that he has given me what he asked me to do with it, I will be fine. That's hard. I understand that. But the Bible is clear that God will take care of his children. That's not a promising for not having hardship. I'll tell you that right now. That is a promise for peace and joy and for him being with you. That there are certain things that he does promise us that he will take care of us in. And so when I realize, God, this is, first of all, it's your money. I'm just a steward of it. Second of all, I know that you're going to take care of me, so you're not just going to leave me, flat leave me at the end of the day. Ha ha, got you, sucker, goodbye. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think God is like people. I've had people do that to me. Hey, give me this money, I'll take care of it, you know, watch it grow, I'll give it back to you more, give them the money, and then the money and them, they disappear. God is not like that. See, with his promises, he will always take care of us. That we do not need monetary value to be cared for because we are, he is not like people. He does not place value on our life with the amount of money that we have in our bank account. Or the amount that our pay stub is attached at our check. How much that has in it. 
He doesn't place the title, the greatest title, which is son of God, daughter of God, to people that only have a certain amount in their salary. See, God is not like people. He will care for us when we are broke, poor, and destitute. In fact, those are the people that he says his good news came for. The second thing that I learned is the verse that we read last week, verse in 2 Corinthians, it's, Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which, though, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. See, the one issue I've had with people giving money to get money is usually when you give money to get money, you give money to get money so that you can spend that new money, that more money on the things that you want. It's like, all right, when I'm giving my $1,000 seed, I'm going to give my $1,000 seed so I can buy my million-dollar home. I mean, we're in New York. It's more like my $10 million home. Come on. Who's kidding? Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my $100 seed so I can get my $500 pair of sneakers. I'm going to give my $10 seed so I can go out. Whatever it is, right? It was, it was I'm going to give to God so that I can be enriched for me. But what Paul says is when you give and you receive more, that more that you receive is so that you can be even greater in giving. See, the thing that I learned is that as I give, God will give me more so that I can give more. Church, we have a mission. That mission requires resources. You know, whenever we get to this part, people always ask me, how much, Justin? You know, they're taking out their checkbook. They're ready. You know, just tell me how much. Leave me alone. Just let me go home, you know, sane. This is the beauty of the New Testament. The percentage required in the Bible is sacrifice. The percentage that is required in Scripture is sacrifice. Right? If, you, if you want a standard, then you can use the Old Testament standard of 10% as your floor. This is where I'll start. This is where I'll begin. But the New Testament is clear. It is sacrificial giving. It is giving all as much as you can. It is a sacrifice. For Heather and I, that has meant much more than 10%. At times, like I said, it's meant everything that we had. You know, and every kid that God adds unto my life. <laughs> the more I ask God, are you sure about this? I got mouths to feed, God. But the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What we have found, Heather and I, is not anger, sadness, or brokenness. It is joy. It is joy in the advancement of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I'll tell you this, though. We've struggled with faith, with stress, with anxiety, and all the emotions that come with not trusting God. But we have always been left with joy. We have given all 
and we have found our treasure that is worth all, and nothing can take it from us. I remember this funny conversation I had with my accountant, uh, my accountant that does my business accounting and my personal accounting. One year he was doing my taxes, um, and you know he'd always bother me about how much we gave, but this year he called me. He's like, Justin, I want you to come to the office. He came to the office. I, you know, you never want to hear that from your tax guy. Uh, and so, and he goes, Justin, you need to stop giving what you're giving. This is ludicrous. Uh, I just started laughing, uh, and you know he was like, you know, you you have kids. You're gonna have kids. You need to start doing this. You need to start doing this. You need to start doing that. And I'm like, tell him, listen, Steve. Yeah. That all makes sense, but I'm not going to stop. I can't. Um, and I, then I, I, was, I said, look, this is just who I am. This is how I am. This is, please stop. Just, just do the taxes. This is, this is, it's only going to get worse. So I know that this is giving you migraines every year, but this is only going to get worse. You have to stop. See, what, what this has taught us is through that stress, through that anxiety, through that doubt that we have that we have faced through that struggle with our face in the end what we have learned is we have learned to trust God in ways that we never thought we could trust him to lean on God on his understanding and not our own to have faith in God like nothing else because we literally have nothing else to put our faith in and I can tell you that through that it has grown us in our walk with God like nothing else has. Grown us in our faith. Grown us in our trust. We have grown in our love for God. To keep him at his word and really understand that we are his sons and his daughters. And we truly can trust him with everything See, that, what that has done is it has spilled over into every area of our life. That if, if God could do this, then he surely can do this, and he surely can do this, and he surely can do that. See, it has helped us walk in, our, in obedience in many other areas in our life. And I believe that's why Paul said that do not neglect this act of grace that we talked about last week. Now, he specifically says the church needs to excel in this because it's true that when we excel in this it helps all the other areas of our walk with God so today I want to ask the church and just be honest if you call this place home ask God what it would be like to be a sacrificial giver because one it will grow you almost like nothing else will. And I say that from experience. But two, because I believe there is no greater cause on earth to give your finances to. Every night I pray with my kids the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that portion that we pray for every night, that on earth as it is in heaven, 
when we give towards the kingdom, when we give our all to the kingdom, we partake in that prayer, actionably partake in that prayer of seeing the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven to expel all rebellion, disobedience against God, to live in a place where we are faithful and God is Lord over all. Every week when we receive the offering, I want us to remember what we give towards. The greatest mission on earth, the glorious church of God that carries the greatest message, the good news of Jesus Christ, that this is why we give. This is what we are pushing forward. This is why we put our resources towards here so that we can see the kingdom of God expand on earth as it is in heaven. It's one of the reasons why every time we give, we give joyfully because we are joyful to see the message of God expand and go out. That we get to partake in this with the resources that we steward. So I ask, let God have all. Let him conquer all and be Lord of all in your life. And stop asking the question, would I? And start asking the question, have I? Because when you start saying, have I? Then the perception of your heart and your mind change. Of that this is really not a question I should be asking. It's really an act that I should be doing. And my prayer for us as a congregation, we're all in different financial places in our life and different streams and different jobs and different circumstances and finances and, you know, the list goes on. But what I ask is that we learn to be obedient to the voice of God as he calls us to be sacrificial in all that we are including our finances, that we ask God, what does it mean to sacrifice our finances for you? What does it mean to walk out of our comfort zone, to take away things that I may love so that I can give to the thing that you are doing here on earth, your mission, your church? Can you stand with me and pray?